0: This episode of From the Saddle is brought to you by the Australian Performance Horse magazine, keeping you informed on all performance disciplines, competition news and results, feature stories, people, training, reviews, and more. Available Australia wide in print and worldwide digital via Google Play and the iTunes App Store. Go to performancehorsemag.com.au for your subscription and super merchandise. I just need to
1: take five
0: <laughs> Not even high pressure, I don't know the word. Describe it. <laughs> from the saddle. Hey folks, Scotty Keogh here from the Saddle. I'm here with my good friend Caitlin Hewitt and today I have the honour and privilege of interviewing a man who is a true legend. Uh, a lot of people don't get to meet their heroes. I know mine very, very well. His name is Daryl Joe Kong and in my mind he is the king of all the Australian bronc riders. How you going there Daryl? Yeah, I'm good, Scott. Great to have you, champion.
1: Good to
0: talk to you. You too, mate. So, uh, Daryl, you know, I suppose, um, what are you, 72, 73?
1: Yeah, I'll be 73
0: in December, Scott, yeah. Okay, I'll just uh, send me that secret to uh, Fountain of Youth that you're going on, because everyone knows you look (laughs) about 40. Um, Mate, your story, it's incredible. So, the the people that don't know, Daryl, you grew up in the middle of Brisbane and you're 50% 50% Chinese blood, is it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I
0: oh, three quarters, I imagine, yeah. Okay, so for those of you that, that just think they missed that, uh, we're talking about the best of the Australian bronc riders, three quarters Chinese, grows up in the middle of Brisbane, uh, you're a little bloke, smaller than me. Let's start at the start. Tell me how the hell did you get into rodeo and horses? Um,
1: yeah, well, like you said, Scott, I would come from Brisbane and then... Uh, My grandfather, he uh, had race horses and stuff. He was sort of out of Brisbane a little bit, down towards Nudgee Beach. And um, on weekends and stuff, I'd go down and help him. He had a little, he had like a farm down there and he had horses and stuff. And I'd go and stay with him, uh, go down on weekends. He'd come and pick me up and and mum would come and get me sort of when it's time to go back to school and that. And that's sort of how I, I spent a lot of time with him in my early days, yeah.
0: Hanging around the racetracks, learning to ride. There was some pony club in there too, wasn't there, mate?
1: Yeah, then I went to pony club and stuff. Yeah, my grandfather, he always had a few ponies and that around to ride. And uh, I was just getting around in bare feet and that. would ride them in little track pads and that, these ponies and that. You'd ride them with bare feet, stick your toes the stirrups and that, and, and uh, stuff like that. And I just progressed in. I'd go to pony club and uh, sort of just did that sort of stuff, you know.
0: So how rodeo, like where did that come in? Like local shows, what are we talking?
1: Yeah, yeah, well, before, before I even did that, well, I probably got on my first steer when I was about 13, but out at Brookfield, I used to have some little rodeos and shows at Brookfield, just out of Brisbane there, and I remember going over there and getting on a steer when I was about 14, I think, and then I just gave it a go, me and another guy, a mate of mine, and we had a go, and then I was sort of in the old pony club spurs and that, and then uh, when I left school, I left home about 16 and then took off and caught the train and went up to Longridge. Between Longridge and Winton, I sort of got a job up there. It was the first job I ever had, working on um, races up there. And I did that for a few years. It was really good, too. I liked that life. And then I came back to Brisbane and sort of, a mate of mine from Pony Club, actually, he was getting around and riding steers and that at these little shows and stuff. And so I sort of, got back into that again, because I'd already had a steer ride a few years ago, and I was pretty keen to go again, and so I sort of started that, and then that's how it sort of got me going, those little steer rides and bull rides around, the, all these little shows all around the downs here and that.
0: So your first saddle bronc ride, mate, are we talking in the poly saddle?
1: Uh, yeah, I started in the poley saddle, that uh, first rodeo, that was at Brookfield as well, that was about 66, I think, I sort of had a ride in the saddle, and then... 67. I sort of started going. Oh, I want to talk about serious. I sort of started going every week into these rodeos around Brisbane because I sort of came back from Longridge and I quit that sort of life up there, and um, got into all the little shows and that around Brisbane up right up to around Kilcoy. You know, down to Bundaberg, all the little rodeos around the place, and then I sort of uh, progressed. and We used to go down to the Bushman Carnival rodeos in. New South Wales, too, right down to Tabulum, out to Gundy and that, all down to Pennefield and all those little rodeos where they'd all have Bronco rides and that, we'd ride them. And we started, we were riding them in the poly Saddles, all poly Saddles in them days.
0: And did you have like a mentor, mate?
1: Uh, not really, no. Didn't, Scott. Uh, no, I just sort of got on them. kept getting... I remember the first ones that I got on, I just had no idea, you know. You'd get on and... They'd give you the gate rope for your head rein, right, sort of thing. You did why well, you'd go. You didn't have anyone showing you, and sort of thing. There was uh, one guy, sort of Kenny Consiglio. He sort of got around all these bushy radios. He did give me a bit of a hand there, you know, a time or two, and sort of he sort of looked after me a bit, sort of thing. Kenny Consiglio did. He, he rode a lot in the bushy radios and that. But we sort of just like going and getting on, and you know, just keep getting on, sort of thing, you know, and getting bucked off quite a few times as well.
0: And um, entering a couple of events, mate, you, you rode bulls too?
1: Uh, yeah, I rode bulls and then bareback horses as well. I tried to get into everything, you know, sort of thing.
0: So when when did things get better for you, mate? Like when did you start to shine?
1: Um, well, it, after I did about a year in the Bushies, I was 67. And then I sort of, to the, towards the end of that year, you know, I was sort of started to win a bit in that. I, steer rides, I could win a bit in the steer rides. Saddle rides, I was struggling a bit, and uh, I didn't mind the bareback riding either. I won a few bareback ridings in the in the bushies that year, and then at the end of that year, I joined up the AAWA. It was in them days with the Desi Bain. He was one of the other guys that was getting around. We I used to rodeo with every weekend, you know, around Brisbane and that. So we decided I oh, will join the AWRA. That was the next step up. You're going into the pros, sort of thing.
0: Yeah, big step.
1: First rodeo I went to was up at uh, Claremont at C3D. Radio of Cole Dennis's. I remember the old in December, 67,
0: yeah. Yeah, right. So then there was a trip to New Zealand shortly after that?
1: Uh, well, I did, I did a year in the AWA then, 68. I sort of did a full year in the AWA. And then at the end of that year, I went over to New Zealand, 68, in the 69, over the Christmas run they used to have over there.
0: Yeah, I remember a guy telling me once, that's where you clicked, that's when he's seen a change in you in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, it was too. That's when I turned the corner in New Zealand.
0: In the International Saddle by then?
1: Yeah, well, I rode in the International Saddle for one year 1968. I bought a saddle off a guy came down in, because we knew nothing about them saddles, Scott. We were coming out of poly saddles, and even in the AWRO, they'd only just got them in, and no one knew anything about them. They were telling you to spur up the back and everything else, and I rode in the saddle that was 18 inches long, I'd reckon. <laughs> I'd go from the front of that saddle to the back. So, I remember, you know, I couldn't, you know, I was just sloshing around. And then I went to New Zealand, and they had them some good saddles in New Zealand, Scott. Yep. The committee got uh, Fred Harson to make them bronx saddles.
0: Because
1: yep. they had had them bronx saddles a year earlier than that we did over here. They brought them in earlier. And um, they were going, the saddles were good over there. And, I, and that's when I really turned the corner where I could really get you know, to the front end of the horse, and I can still remember that, you know, from sloshing by and just getting them covered and all that to where I could sort of sit up and have a bit of a lick. Yeah. And that's when things started to turn around, and then I came back from over there, and then I um, had a good year. The next year in 69, I was starting to win a bit in the bronc riding, and, that, and it was starting to get a, an event that I liked, you know. I was still working three events, but the bronc riding, I really liked the bronc riding, and it was sort of just... I wasn't doing anything special, but I was sort of getting to where I could sit up and make a bit of a lick and sort of have a bit of a, a slash at them and that, and I was starting to feel better on them, you know what I mean? And uh, I did make the fines in 69 out at Kutamundra uh, in the OOO, and then that was about it then. And then I, um, I sort of worked a little bit, and then in 1970, I sort of thought, now I'm going to Canada. And I wasn't really riding anything flash. I wasn't setting the world on fire, but I thought, you know, I wanted to go over there and learn to ride Bronx. And I was going to go to a bull riding school over there, Dale of Roses, but I sort of quit that when I went over there. And I, I ended up going with, um, I went to Winston Brewster school.
0: Yeah, there at Calgary Stampede.
1: Yeah, at the Calgary Stampede Corral Building there. And uh, it was a real eye-opener for me, Scott, because it was an indoor school. Like the whole, we, we were there for a week. And uh, it was all indoors, you know, really nice arena in that. All the shoots were the Calgary shoots that they used to the stampede, and oh, it was like a, a hell of a setup. It was like, you know, going to anything, that, nothing I'd ever been to. You know, what were well, radios out here we were going to. In those days were great, big arenas. They were grass arenas.
0: And that was 1970, mate. Oh, in
1: 1970, yeah. They were. That's how they were. The, the committee didn't want to fill the arenas up in that. The AWRA really fought hard to get them arenas ploughed up, and guys were getting hurt too, you know. Oh man! In them days, and we—I went from there to go over to there to do this school for a week, you know, and this indoor school. I couldn't believe it, you know. It was just like nothing we'd ever—I'd ever been to. And um, the school went for a week, and we were getting on these mayors of Calgary. They were trying these mares, they were NFR mayors, you know. They'd been to the national finals, and for three days. We never rode anything, just a bucked off. You know, I mean, it was a tough school. And, you know, there was 20 of us there. And um, after three days, Winston had a guy called Harvey Northcott. He was an amateur outfit over there. I he remember Harvey. He brought his horses down. Remember old Harvey? Yeah. And um, he brought nice, softer horses. And the school finished off really good on a good note. And uh, I was sort of the most improved guy at the school. And I think uh, I ended up with a pair of boots or something like that. And uh, it was a really tough school. You know, there were guys who dropped out, I can tell you. <laughs>
0: I bet there really, wasn't.
1: It? It, it, was really, it was really the school of hard knocks. There wasn't still
0: 20 getting on at the end of it?
1: No, there weren't. And it went for a week. And uh, it was sort of a survival of the fittest in the end, you know.
0: Did you start just entering random pro rodeos after that? Or did you amateur rodeo? Or what did you do?
1: No, no, I didn't go to any amateurs. I went to... Just went to the PRCA rodeos and the CRCA rodeos, and so that that was 1970. And um, I did the summer over there. I went over there in the spring. That was about April in, in '70. It was sort of coming into spring then, and there was quite a few rodeos going on. So, and I got to winning a bit over there in Canada in those days. Yeah, you know, I sort of won. I won Williams Lake that first year I went over there, which was a great one for me because there was everyone yeah, was there. Fourth All of the July. That was the Fourth of July rodeo, and when I first went over there, I didn't know whether I was going to ride bulls or broncs. I sort of didn't have a saddle. I didn't have any gear and stuff. I, I ended up getting a bit of gear together. I didn't have a saddle. And then Red Deer, one of the first rodeos I went to after that school, and that Jimmy Dix was there and Doug Flanagan, two Australian guys, and then Mel Hyland was there. And Jim had this saddle that he had made for himself. He, he ducked and severe, had made it the year earlier. And, and Jim was about my size, and it, it actually just fitted me just right. So Jim had it in the back of his car, and so he brought it out and he loaned it to me. And that was the only saddle I ever rode in. It was about two years later when I bought it off, Jim. He sort of just loaned it to me. He didn't want to sell it. And it was two years later before he'd sold it to me when I, you know, sort of thing. So that was great for me to find a saddle like that and just stay in it. At the end of that year, Scott, when the rodeos in Canada had finished that first summer, sort of John Holman, I got in with him a bit. He was spending a fair bit of time up in Canada there. And uh, I was traveling with him a bit, and then he said, We're going to New York. So he bought these, the tickets and that, and we flew to New York and ended up in Madison Square Garden. That was the first year I went over there. And Winston was there as well. He went over, he sort of to the end of his career. And I spent a fair bit of time with Winston over there and that at them radios. And it was a really eye opening. Here we were at the Madison Square Garden, you know. Mate,
0: right, she's a um, long way from Brookfield Pony Club.
1: Oh, I couldn't believe it. So there we were, at it was about eight rounds, I think, or something. So we were there after a week. I placed there on a few rounds and that, and things were good because I was starting to place, you know, in, in a lot of radios and that, here and there and stuff, and I was winning enough money to sort of get me by and stuff. So I always said if I if I couldn't win enough money, you know, things were going bad that I'd head back home. That didn't happen to you, did it? I wasn't setting the world on fire, but I was getting enough to keep going.
0: Okay, so I'm going to butt in there, folks. When he says he wasn't setting the world on fire, now that we're talking you won Calgary, Pendleton, Cheyenne, you were the first Australian to make the national finals over there, twice. That wasn't repeated, Daryl, for like 30 or 40 years till Glenn O'Neill come along. Like, your career was nothing short of amazing. But what I want to know is, did you think you could do it? I mean, you were this little Asian-looking guy from Australia. Yeah, well,
1: well, I didn't. Like I said, Scott, I didn't set any goals. To, I wasn't going over there to win the world or to go to the finals. Even you know, I just was going over there to uh, sort of more or less to see how I'd go. I met Johnny Rain over there at the same time. He rode bareback horses, and uh, and we were the same. You know, he was what Johnny had won a lot more in Australia than I had. I just sort of went, met, caught up with him over there, and I didn't have any plans to make the finals or anything. I just went, and the things just went from one to another. You know, I did. I didn't want to sort of go backwards, you know, because if I couldn't make it there, I was sort of just going to come home, you know. So when you get over there, you just go from one step to the other. And then and the way it was with me, I sort of ended up, the bronc hadn't really clicked with me and I just ended up, you know, rodeoing with all them top guys, which I'd read about, you know, in years before when I was over here, like Mayan and Bill Smith, and Marty Wood and Sean Davis, and I couldn't believe it. I'd walk down the draw and there I was on the same draw sheet as them guys.
0: I can't on, eh? believe. Well, I can tell you now, uh, what, 40 years later when I was rodeoing over there, I can remember running into Larry Mahan, Bob Torman, Rick Smith, Mike Marvel, all those guys, and the first thing out of my mouth, I'd say, hey, do you know Daryl Kong? And their eyes would just light up and they'd go, Daryl Kong, what is he doing? So that was my little icebreaker to meet all these famous guys and here I'd be Thirty minutes later, slapping each other on the back, you know, and you were just you're so so remembered, so well regarded. And um, for the people that don't know you, mate, you've never drank, smoke or swore. Like you're not the classic cliche cowboy, are you?
1: Yeah, no, I, I guess I didn't wasn't the real party person. Like a six pack of beer would pull me up, you know. I'd be sort of under the table if I drank a six pack. <laughs>
0: I can still remember being at Cody Rodeo one night, and I was sitting there in that saddle, uh, the saddle you bought off Jim Dix, yeah. and Rick Smith comes up to me, and um, he was recruiting for a college over there, so I'm talking to him, and, um, and he says, daryl Kong, you know, and, and here's all these young guys standing around that are pretty wolfy, um, you know, John Forbes' kids and, and guys like that, and they went on to be great bronc riders, and he said, do you know how good Daryl Kong rode? And we said, well, not really, but he said he rode like Billy Yetbauer, but with more control. And we're like, oh, my God, that's yeah. that's the greatest rap you can ever have. So um, Yeah, that
1: was good of Rick
0: to say that. I tell everyone, uh, my son, Billy, yeah. uh, he's nine, and ever since he's about three years old, he could recite this. He'd say, um, like, you know, I'm named after the second best bronc rider ever to live because Dad would have named me after the best bronc rider to ever to live, but Kongi Keo just didn't have a ring to it. <laughs> so, um, mate, you're you definitely uh, you're still well remembered and well regarded over there. Tell me about Chris Ledoux. Um So many people in Australia have heard of Chris Ledoux. Uh They probably don't know that he's one of your close friends and travelling partners. So, um, can you tell me a bit about Chris? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, he was Chris. Was yeah. Uh, I end up spending a fair bit of time back in Casey, Wyoming, Scott, with Johnny Forbes and John Holman, and Johnny yep. Forbes. He's still one of my best friends ever in, you know, in the world, Johnny Forbes. I still talk to him on the phone a bit, and that's like half a century later. Yep. And um, Chris LeDoux had come back to He went to college at Castle just down the road. So he ended up spending a fair bit of time around Casey as well. And um, so Chris and I got pretty close there. We were, He was sort of just breaking the ice, and he would went to the finals and that year before and stuff. And so he's starting to win a bit. Chris was, and he was a great guy, Chris. He he, uh, always looked after his friends, and that if you got in with Chris, you'd always sort of wait up, you know, you'd you'd go to a rodeo with him. He wouldn't leave you behind. He'd always look after you, and he was a great traveling partner of mine and and Cubs. We'd mess around a bit, and Chris would sing, and we'd always give him shit because we'd always say, oh, he couldn't sing. He's only a party singer and all that. Chris would just, you know, he'd just try harder, you know?
0: But, uh, oh, my God. He
1: was a great guy, Chris, and we'd go up to the hills. He'd, he was a real old nature boy. You'd go up to the hills, you know, Scott, and you'd just spend a couple of days up there camping out. And Chris, Chris would just get all stark naked and run around like nature boy, you know, and uh, he'd be stark naked running around the bush and, and stuff, and uh, he was just a real uh, down-to-earth sort of guy and that, but a really honest and a really true true blue friend, old Chris, was, and he rode good he rode good, and um, but he fitted right in around KC. It was a really
0: cowboy sort of town, KC. Well, has frozen there, Daryl, because when I walked into oh, the bar, yes. I asked the barmaid, and she knew you. <laughs>
1: yes,
0: that'd be right. Yeah, <laughs> so be- one of my favourite uh, stories to hack on, Daryl, about um, there there's some people in Warwick that you know have horses. They're horse people, and Warwick's not a huge town. You kind of know everyone who has horses and yeah. Daryl's one of those guys, folks, if you've never met him, he's actually very good at everything he does. Like when he digs a post postal, you swore it was like dug by a machine. Everything's perfect. So Daryl's actually a very good fence builder with a chainsaw. So he's at these people's place building a set of yards and they get talking a little while and different things like that. Anyhow, Chris the Doo song must have come on the radio. So anyhow, Daryl just talked to him a little bit and a um, week or two or later, This lady just runs up to me and she goes, Scott, i got a story for you. I said, what is it? She said, there are some bullshitters in this world. i got a beauty for you. I said, well, tell me. She said, we've got this little Asian guy digging yards at our place and um, says he rides Bronx, but that's not the best part. He reckons he knows Chris LeDoux. (laughs) I said, well, I hate to tell you, but it's all very, very true. (laughs) So, um, yeah, you've just always been, um, I I think Daryl, You know, your your bronc riding legacy will live on, but I think outside the arena where you've been the bloke that is clean cart and and you're not at the bar and you've been my hero since a little boy and and, uh, I tried to emulate in the arena. I didn't go so good at it. But uh, um, what was your best memory of competing in Oklahoma City?
1: Um, Scott, probably the last year I went there in 73 when Bill Smith and I were, well, I was having a good year that year. I had a really good start to winter rodeos. I had a really good summer and that. And then I, I was really, was Bill Smith and I were sort of not far between each other all year. And then um, at the end of November, I was in the lead in November. And um, I sort of had a horse roll on me and sort of roll my ankle a bit. And I didn't get another horse until the national final in December. And like, if they go that hard over there that was only a month. But by the time I went to the national final, I was like in fifth and um, you, you know you're fair way behind then but I ended up having a, a pretty good final Bill Smith and I and um, John McBeth we were sort of top scorer at the finals, we were 86 on a horse each and that But um, so I ended up going in fifth and coming out third, Larry Mayhem went over me and then and Bill was a little bit too far in front and then days to catch him sort of thing but you know he could have been caught I guess if he had a really good final but That was it, but um, actually in that 73 in that year, too, there was a horse there that cost me a lot of money. I don't know if you you heard about that horse. It was a horse called Wells Fargo, and um, I had that horse that I went to Fort Worth earlier that year. I went to the final, the short go, in the lead, and I had had this uh, Wells Fargo Billy Minnicks. And he's a horse that first time I'd ever been on him, and he he threw me off. He got me about third jump, sort of walked on his front feet, people don't understand what these broncs do but they, some of them broncs will try anything to buck the horse and this horse will really shuffle on his front feet and get um, me 12 and I'd be end up sitting, a fourth jump I'd be sitting on top of me 12 and he, he sort of got me and then I had it, if I had went to Houston that year and I won two guys at Houston two of the first guys at Houston and then I uh, went to short go again in the lead and I had that same horse and um I had him at uh, Houston, and then same thing happened at Houston. He got me the same, the same time, at the same, it was exactly the same way. And so it was sort of disappointing that. But at the end of the year, that sort of cost me a bit. Yep. And then, um, and after that, I'd seen that horse at fagger, well, and Joe Marvel. He bucked my Joe Marvel off too later on. And Joe was one of the best bronc riders ever. And Joe said to me years later, he said that horse bucked me off, and I didn't know that until Joe told me years later. But anyway this the started, because 'cause I'd seen these Texas swipers riding.
0: Damn Texas swipers.
1: They would never spur a horse hard, and they'd flash by him and that and I could see what he's doing is for you know, if you hurt him a bit and spurred him a bit hard, he was making it really hard for you. And he would do the bit of a shuffle and and sort of thing and that he'd get you swelled and Yes. And then I had him at Cheyenne in a shortcut. You know, that was the third time I'd had him all year and so Billy Minnick was sort of laughing. I said, went to the office and I said, I to check the draw for the short, here we had, and here's Billy laughing a bit, you know, a bit of a chuck. So I have a look at my drawing here. I, it, I come up with old Wells Fargo again, third time for the year. Oh, um, I got him rode at Cheyenne. It wasn't real pretty, but I got him married. Did you win it that year? Yeah, that's year I won Cheyenne, yeah. Yep. Yep. So that was a strange event that I had, that same walk three times in the shortcut, three of the biggest rodeos, yep.
0: Oh, we bugged so, mate, two trips to the NFR, you won all the majors. When and why did you call it a day?
1: Yeah, well, I was, uh, I, you know, I was just travelling hard. Well, every year I went over this stuff. I just travelled hard, tried to go as many roads as, as you could. And then um, I sort of got married at the end of that year, 73 up time, 5. But I got married to Johnny Ford's cousin, actually. She lived not far from KC in a town called Midwest. So I married got married to Francis, and then we sort of traveled in 74 and that, and then I wasn't going to a lot of them, and then I was sort of, I was sort of half-hearted a bit going to them and that, and then spending a bit more time at home, and then and just with four or five years of traveling hard, and then I was ready to sort of ease back a bit, and, that, and then um, I sort of just went to a few and that, and then I sort of uh, got out of touch with it a bit and sort of the... Uh, I don't know, I just didn't. I was just getting sick of going to the same radios year after year.
0: The fire was going out, mate.
1: Yeah, the tide was going out. I was, remember we talked about the old fire? The fire was going out, Scott.
0: Oh, and, yeah. uh, Doesn't burn for long, does it, mate?
1: No, I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't as keen as I was. The old, you know, when the fire goes out, you know, you're sort of not as keen, you're not ready to get on and do your best sort of thing, and it's getting harder to go to them and stuff. And then and I thought, oh, you know, it's different. It's a funny thing, the old radio, and it's different to some guys. Billy there went to the finals for twenty years. You know, I don't know how he ever did it. It's sort of Superman stuff that is yep. to go for twenty years hard. How did they ever do it? I couldn't imagine if anyone doing it, that he did. Tom Reeves did it, but you know, um, I radioed hard there for five years, and that, and I was ready to sort of. We weren't making a lot of money, you know. At the finals, we were winning seven hundred to win a go, and I think. Now they're winning 27 grand or something, so there is a lot of difference there. And, uh, you know, things just slow down for me. And once you sort of get out of it, you sort of never get back into it. That's what I found anyway. Once you retire, you just slow down and get out of it. If you're not going hard every year, you ease up a bit. It's harder to get back into it. That's sort of the bronc riding. I was it's probably the same with every event. It's just harder to get back in and then sort of, yeah.
0: And once you are back in Australia, you, you didn't rodeo much at all, did you?
1: No, I never I never even went to Mount Isao again. You know, I never went to any rodeo as much. I went to a few around here. I might have went for six a year or something. But I did, I rodeoed. I got, the last bronc I got on was when I was 40. And then I thought, I'll, I'll go till I'm 40, but I wasn't really just going through the motions sort of thing. But that wasn't my goal to make, to get on when I was 40. But I, I was still fit enough in that. But I wasn't as keen in that, but I still got on and sort of... Went through it and that sort of thing,
0: yeah. Mate, it must have been somewhere around there. I'm guessing that, like, you and Garney Beresford must have started the coaching.
1: Yeah, um, well, we started that in, well, when I came back, I had my first school in 76, I think was Scott. Yeah, And then we and and I had a lot of schools in the late 70s into the 80s. We used to have lots of guys come down there. It was, they were good schools. We spent a lot of time with the guys and that, and, you know, tried to help guys, you know, and that, just... We tried to pass on the things that we knew. The things still weren't that good in Australia you know, as far as bronc riding. We were still wanting a lot of good bronc riders around, and there was a lot of guys wanting to ride broncs, but not a lot of guys around that knew knew how to ride. Ro- you know what to do, how to ride broncs and stuff. So Johnny made a bucking machine, and he was pretty clever like that. He made a bucking machine, and then we used it at the schools and. Uh, and a lot of guys wanted to go to school. The always had guys wanting to go to school, so we just thought as long as guys want to go to we'll try and help them, sort of thing, so we did.
0: Oh, you must have coached about nearly every decent bronc rider that come out of Australia for 20 years.
1: Yeah, well, there was a lot of guys come through, Scott, and uh, we were pretty proud of the schools, you know, and that's just, uh, you know, like I so said, we had a lot of guys come through and most guys were happy at the skills, they learnt stuff and that. Was what we tried to tell them guys it was just like a stepping stone in their career, you know, that they might come to our school and learn something, they'll go somewhere else and they learn things off other people. It wasn't, we weren't just, you know, the one place where you've got to learn to ride broncs, but we were, certainly, when they came, we sort of tried to help as much as we could and, and word got around and we always said, every year there'd be guys calling up wanting to know when the next school was on sort of thing. So we just kept going and just kept having them and, and a lot of guys did learn stuff um, the skills and that, I think, and helped them in their career, and that's all we wanted to do with them, you know, the skills.
0: You've definitely done that, Daryl. You've got a, the kindest nature that uh, anyone who meets Daryl Kong once knows that, and um, uh, you've helped a lot of blokes over the years. Um, and then, you know, a bit of a hiatus from the coaching, and then um, we fired up again a few years later, didn't we?
1: Yeah, we did, yeah. In 2000, I think, Scott, you sort of got keen. Well, you were wanting to ride. Now, I remember when you were riding the steers and that around, cars first off around the place, uh, around Warwick, and I'd been living in Warwick since about 85, and so you were riding, and I was judging a few radios, and you were always riding cars and that, and you always stuck out in my mind when I always saw you riding the steers, and that. And I said, this guy's got a lot of try, and he's going to go a long way, and then you ended up wanting to, you were riding bulls and steers then, and then you wanted to go, you wanted to ride some broncs and that, and I said, sure, I'll help you as much as I could, and I, I did sort of thing, and we spent a fair bit of time together, didn't we?
0: Oh, mate, you know? like for the people at home, it, this is like having Wally Lewis at your at your junior footy training, you know, so uh, so I was definitely very spoilt there, and, and I don't think I appreciated Daryl until I went to the States, and they were just 40 years later still talking about this man, just still so widely regarded, so um, I definitely, I, I truly enjoyed um, really meeting those friends of yours, the Marvels and, and the Forbeses and the likes of that, and um mm-hmm. So uh, so it has been a blast being friends with Daryl Kong. So, uh, mate, if you were to give um, a young bronc rider some advice right now, what would it be?
1: Um, yeah, well, I think you just learn the basics, and then it's all about trials, Scott. So I'll tell you what happened to me, Scott, when I was, one year when I went over there. Um, Marty Wood, the greatest, he won Calgary five times, I think, and he'd all, he won the world three times. He won the bronc riding Calgary five times. And I had a horse at Fort Worth. So, I'll never forget this, what Marty told me. Uh, I'm at Fort Worth and I drew um a horse of Harry Knight's. His name was Mexico Kid. And uh, I went up to Marty. I didn't know Marty. I'd never sort of spent much time with him. I did later. I went to the farms with him and that. But, and I went up to Marty and I said to Marty, it's always going to find out what the horse is like. So, then what you can so you get a bit of an edge on him. And I said to Marty, what's this uh, Mexico Kid? And and Marty looked at me and said, He said, Oh, you got Mexico kid. He said, Kid, he said, You better just wire your ass on. <laughs> and so that's all he told me. And I'll never forget that. And yeah. I think it's all about try. Yep. You know, it's all about try. It's all about you'll go as far as you you, you know you want to go with, with as much try as you got. And that's well, what it's all about. You
0: definitely did that, Daryl. Um, mate, it's been a blast. Um, I appreciate your time here today. I'm, I'm sure so many of your old travelling partners are, are going to listen to this. Mate, I appreciate every moment, Daryl. Can't wait to catch up with you again uh, next time I'm home. And, mate, you are my hero, and thank you very much for your time here today. Well,
1: thanks, Scott. And, uh, it's been good to know you over the years too, Scott, and it's really good. You know, it's a really good friendship we got, and um, all the best, mate. Thank you very much.
0: Cheers, Daryl. Talk to you, mate.
1: Okay, thanks
0: Scott. Bye now. From the Saddle is brought to you by Hewitt Consulting in Communications, specializing in rural business and
1: marketing design. Find them on Facebook and Instagram.